our series this morning on living intentionally for God. The idea is looking at this thing that we call life and figuring out some things that we need to make sure are true in our own lives if we're going to genuinely try and and follow and honor God with our lives. We talked about the idea of margin, space. Uh, You need to have the space and margin in your life. Uh, God established that in creation even. And um, it's so important for us. We talked... um, we talked not only that, but we talked about the idea of, of, of control, that, that control for us is an illusion. We think we're in control, but the reality of it is God's in control, and we have to learn to try. Uh, we talked about the idea of simplicity, that sometimes we make life so complicated. And even in our Christianity, we can make things sometimes so complicated where really we need to get back to just the simple, basic thing. And then we talked about last week about the idea of, of a life that is driven and focused by love. And the idea that we love God and we love people. And that we really need that to be the motivation for what we do and, and, and how we do the things that we do. The last one we're going to look at this morning is focus. Because focus ultimately turns your direction. Direction ultimately is going to determine your destiny, where you end up. So I want to start this morning with something. And I'm going to throw up a, an image for you to look at. And I want, as you look at that, I want you to look at that and ask yourself the question, what do you see? Some of you see a circle. Some of you see a square. Some of you see a cylinder. You see, it all depends on what perspective you look at this object from. If you and I were to have a discussion about this, here's what's interesting. Those of you who saw a circle... You're absolutely right. And those of you who saw a square, you're absolutely right. Because from your perspective and the way it's lit, you see a circle or a square. But when you stand way back and look at it from a different perspective, the real genuine truth is it's a cylinder. It's just how how it's lit and the angle from which you see it. This is a great reminder of life because this is what happens to us. We get into our perspective and we start to see our life in a certain way and we don't have the ability to step back and actually see what the actual picture is. And so that's why we've been doing this series is we've tried to step back and say, okay, forget about what culture says, forget about what my friends say, forget about what my peers say, what does the Bible say? What does God say? So this morning, we want to deal with this issue of focus. And we want to talk about this concept of where is your life focused? What perspective are you seeing it from? And so what we're going to do is I'm going to ask four questions this morning. I'm going to give you choices with each one of those questions. And by the time we're all done, we're going to walk out of here, and hopefully you're going to be able to go, okay, this is the focus of my life, or this is how my life is focused. So the first thing we want to start with is the idea of this. Here's the question. What's at the center of your life? What is it? Here's what Paul said. I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and the participation in his sufferings, becoming like him even in his death. Paul said, you want to know what the focus of my life is? To know Jesus. 
That's it. That's, that's going to be the center. That's going to be the focus of my life. You have to ask yourself, what's your focus? What is the focus going to be? Is it going to be your career? Is it going to be your kids? Is it going to be your spouse? Is it going to be your family? Is it going to be your job? Going to be your IRA? Going to be your, your, your retirement deal? Going to be your, your what, what's, what's the focus? What are you focused on? When I grew up, here's, here's the image that I was always taught. God is first, family is second, church is third, school and work are four. This is what I was taught. This didn't quite cut it for me. Because what I started realizing is I was a pastor. So church and God were equal in my world. So guess what came first? Church over my family. Because this model actually messed up my marriage for the first four or five years. So then as I started to grow in my Christianity, I came up with this model. This was the old navigator model for some of you who may know that. They said, this is the obedient Christian. This is what the obedient Christian looks like. The Christ is in the center, and then you have, you have prayer, and you have fellowship, and you have witnessing, and you have your Bible study, and this is how you center your life. That worked for me for a while. And then I started to realize that, you know, that the problem with this is where does work fit? Where does, where does my hobbies fit? Where do my kids fit? Where do my, uh, my relationships with my friends fit? So then I came up with this model, okay? Jesus is at the center of it, and I have all these segments of my life. Now, the problem with this model for me was, how do you know which segment is more important than the other segment? Now, this didn't work. So here's where I am now, right here. So just for a simple thing, let's just keep it simple for me. So let's let the yellow be my church world. And let's let the blue be my family world. And let's let the red, for, for me, let, be my hobby world, if you will. Now here's the thing. They all intersect each other. But what's at the center of every single one of them, even when they intersect? Jesus Christ. So this became much more of a model for me. So the issue is not, okay, um, what's more important, going to church or my wife? It became, okay, how can I keep Christ at the center of going to church and my wife? In other words, it's the idea of seeing Christ at the center of all of it, relating all of it back to Christ, not just simply dividing my life up into these compartmentalized segments, if you will. So, for instance, Lord willing, this week I'll be judging speech on Saturday. I'll be a speech judge on Saturday morning. On Sunday, I'm going to be a pastor. On, on, on uh, Sunday night or Saturday night, I'm going to be a husband. On Sunday after church, I get to be grandpa and father. In all of those areas in that 48-hour period, Christ has to be at the center of it. So I bring Christ into the center of all of those things that I am doing. This is what we're talking about. What's at the center of your life? You have a choice to make. Is it going to be you or is it going to be Jesus Christ? Is it going to be your agenda or his agenda? Second question that you have to ask yourself, not only is what's at the center of your life, but what do you want as the epitaph of your life? 
If you think about it for a minute, your life is basically going to be boiled down to a headstone somewhere that's going to have your name, your birth date, a dash, your date of death, and maybe a few adjectives. And they're paying by the letter, so there's not going to be a whole paragraph. It's going to be a couple of key words to sum up your life. What do you want those words to be? I don't believe that you're ready to live until you know what your epi- you want your epitaph to be. I know what words I want on my tombstone. I'm hoping that I live my life in such a way that my family figures out what those words are. Because I've never told them. Why? Because I'm trying to, I know what I want that epitaph to read. So therefore, the focus of my life becomes driven by those adjectives. Paul said it, or Timothy said it this way. Paul said it this way when he was writing to Timothy. I fought a good fight. I finished the race. I've kept the faith. This was Paul's epitaph. Paul said, the one thing I came to the end of all of this ministry, all of this stuff I've done. Timothy, here's what I can say. I fought a good fight. I finished my race. I've kept the faith. That's what I want you to know, Timothy, about my whole ministry, all summed up in this one verse. My question to you is what you want to say. Think about it for a second. What kind of person are you going to do? What kind of thing are you going to deal with? What kind of, what kind of life are you, going to, are, are you going to have represented on that tombstone? You want it to say, you know, greatest businessman Woodbury County's ever seen? Farmed 10,000 acres? Owned newest tractor? What do you want to say? Because you see, you really have to ask yourself that question. Because that will help drive what the focus of your life is. And so often it will help you as you handle the issues that come up with life. Because here's the thing. Most of us, we want a life of comfort and ease. But when Paul said that I may know him and the fellowship of his sufferings and being even to the point of death, Paul was saying, I want God to develop character in my life. It's not about me being comfortable. And by the way, this doesn't preach well. You see, we're in a culture where, where the, the progressive Christianity that we have being sold today is this idea of God will give you a great life. Follow him and everything will be rainbows and roses. But the Bible teaches a far different world for the followers of Jesus Christ. Paul said, look, I want to know him. And even if that means life is going to be hard, then that's what I want. Because by the way, think about it for a second. What was said of Jesus? He was a man of sorrows acquainted with much grief. There's a book title for you. Follow Jesus. Lots of difficulty, hardship, and grief. That doesn't sell. But that's the reality of it. Why? Because God, listen, God is always more more concerned about your character and his glory than he is your comfort. And so the whole point of Christianity, of following, is God, use me. However you want to use me, use me. 
Difficulty, then use me. Hardship, then use me. Grief, then use me. Joy, use me. Happiness, use me. However it plays out, God, I want you to use me. I want my life to count. I want to invest it. And this is the point. This is the thing. You have to ask yourself, what do you want that epitaph to say? What adjectives do you want put on your tombstone? You've got to know how that that will drive your focus. Third question. And that's gets each one gets a little bit tougher for you. But how are you going to spend your life? Most of us, look, most of us, you know how we live? He who dies with the most toys wins. My version, he who dies with the most tools wins. Um, You know, I I mean, seriously, you know, this is the route we go. Listen, Listen to what Peter said. Now, again, you have to remember this. Peter was not an educated man. Uh, in fact, some people question whether or not Peter could even write, and they believe that in some cases Peter had a lot of this stuff written for him. He dictated it. He was a fisherman. He wasn't an educated, highly educated, trained man. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others. As faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do so as the one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do it with the strength God provides. So that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory, the power forever and ever. Amen. Peter said, you want to know what you do with your life? To spend it for Christ. Look, one of the things that we do here, and guys, listen, I, I want you to understand. I, I, I thoroughly understand what we're doing. You need to know there's a purpose behind it. We have lay leaders. After you've been here for a couple of years, we ask you to stand. We don't ask you. We just kind of tell you that you're going to do it, and then you have to decline. That's how we do it. And it's gut-wrenching. And we do it for a couple reasons. Number one, we do it so that your family sees you in a spiritual role. So this is phenomenal for your kids, those of you that have kids or grandkids. Second thing that we do it is so that you never complain about the job that I do. <laughs> because now you know what I go through every week. Um, I mean, that's like a side benefit to it. Um, but, the third, but one of the other reasons is because we want you to understand that God saved you in order to serve and in order to do something. So we're going to kind of force you into that role. And I will tell you, we've been doing this now for 30 plus years. And I'm not, nothing against people who are in front of people in public all the time and who do a phenomenal job when they get up here. But some of my favorite times have been guys who stood up here and fumbled through the whole thing. Because I know, they. there's one guy I'm thinking of, and I'm telling you what, every time he would do a a lay leader thing, you knew 
that he had been miserable for a week, that he had prayed his heart out, and he would stand up and he would bumble through it, and everybody sitting out there walked away going, what a blessing. Why? Because they knew all he was doing is taking whatever gift, talent, ability he had, even though it wasn't as polished as everybody else, and trying to serve God. And um, when I did his funeral, it was one of the things where I could say, you know what? He was one of the favorite people I loved to listen to when he stood up for lay leader. Because you know what it was? You knew that everything was from his heart. And you know what? That's what God asks of us. God asks that, you know, and you go, well, you know, I mean, you know, the church is getting bigger and everything needs to be polished and da 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 I hope we never get to that point. That we can't, that we all of a sudden we have to start screening out who God can use and who God can't. Peter says, look, you let God use you. And God has put you in a place that he will use you this week if you let him. They've said there's two kinds of people in the world, givers and takers. I personally believe that at some point in your life, God will, all, will make all of us a taker. And the reason I believe that is because God often allows into our lives a situation where we have to depend on somebody else other than ourselves, and it is humbling, and it is hard, and it is difficult. But there's a reason God does that. And the reason is because as somebody else comes alongside to help you, then all of a sudden it changes you in such a way that then when you have the opportunity, you can go and help somebody else. Some of you have never been to a point where people had to leave a grocery bag on your doorstep. I have. So consequently, that makes you much more sensitive to those kinds of needs. Paul says it this way, talking about God, who comforts us in our troubles so that we can comfort those in trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. I have watched this play out in ministry so many times over the years. The situation will come up and someone will say, Pastor, can you go talk to him? And I'll go in and I'll tell them what I know from the Bible and I'll try to comfort their hearts and I'll try to do all of those things and I'll do the best that I can mumbling through it. But you know who's ten times more effective? A person who's gone through what they've gone through. I get a husband who's lost a spouse. I, I know what to say. I do the best that I can. But on the other hand, I can bring in a husband who's lost a spouse and say, here, let me introduce you to so-and-so. They don't even have to say a word. And they can communicate with each other. Because they understand what no one else can understand unless you've walked through that and had that journey. And over and over again, I've watched God take... 
because somebody comforted them and God comforted them when they went through it and now they're in a situation where they can help and comfort them. As, as Rick Warren says, God never wastes a hurt. So when you go through a difficulty and you go through hardship and you come out on the other side of it, you need to start looking for ways to use that to help other people. That's why we're in this together. And when you make that the focus of your life, to give because you have been given to, then all of a sudden life has purpose and meaning and you start to, all of a sudden you'd be amazed how clearly focused you become on life because the things that are frivolous kind of go by the wayside. So one of the questions that you have to ask yourself is, how are you going to invest your life? The last question is the idea of when you're going to do it. Here's what Paul says. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then, whether I come and see you or hear about you in my absence, I'll know that you stand firm in one spirit, striving together for the faith of the gospel. When Paul writes this, he doesn't know if he's going to get to see these people again or not. So Paul says, look, right now, whatever happens... You respond in a way to serve God. If I get there, great. And if I don't get there, I'll hear the stories of what God's doing. And Paul says, I want you to be able to be used of God right now, right where you are. Listen. Again, your theology, we talked about this in Sunday school. Your theology really does impact how you live your life. I believe that God is a God of details. And I believe that God has divine orchestrated appointments for you this week with people that you can minister to. The question is whether or not you'll let him use you. The question is whether or not you'll pay attention or you'll miss it. The question is whether you will see it as an opportunity or you will blow right by it or you will put it off to do it later. I want to challenge you this week. If you get a chance, go to Luke chapter 10 and read the story of the Good Samaritan. You want to see this whole thing in action? There it is. There's a guy who's on his way to an appointment, getting ready to do his thing. But God is his focus. So what happens as he's walking along, he sees somebody in need. So if his life is about his appointment, wherever he's headed, he just keeps on going. But he doesn't do that. He stopped. Now, the priest and the other people who came by, they, they kept on their way. But a Samaritan, somebody who was their enemy in the Jewish world when Jesus tells the story, actually sees the person and says, I'm going to stop and I'm going to help. And I'm going to bind up his wound. And then I'm going to pick him up and carry him or put him on my donkey. And I'm going to take him into town. And I'm going to find a guy who can take care of him. I'm going to pay him. And then on my way back, I'm going to check up on him, pay any extra bills, and make sure this guy's taken care of. Why? Because the Samaritan was focused on that, had his life focused on that which was important. Because he had a clear focus that he wasn't there for himself. He was there to help other people. And I want to challenge you this week. Where's your focus going to be? You see a square or a cylinder? You see a circle or a cylinder? 
You're going to step back and, and, and keep that focus that you have on your life, which is narrow and focused and, and missing the whole big thing? So again, four questions today. Here they are. Who's the center of your life? You, your calendar, your agenda, your plan, your career, your goals, your family, your checkbox list, or Christ? Second question. What's your epitaph going to be? If God sends you down a road of difficulty and hardship and struggle, is your goal still to be like him and to honor him in all of it? Or is it going to be more about your comfort? More about God, take this away, make this go away, make my life easy, make my life like everybody else's. And again, dangerous prayers. Because again, we're so Americanized in our thought. You really want your life to be like everybody else's in the world? Or just in your little focused circle of the way you think life should be? Because if it's the world, 92% of you are never going to live past 65. Well, I'm already there. Then you better be thankful God doesn't give you what everybody else has got. What's your epitaph? What words do you want on your tombstone? How are you going to spend your life? You a giver or a taker? You hoarding and accumulating and, and trying to amass all the stuff together so that you can go, I have more tools than you? I mean toys? <laughs> really? What's it about? What's it about? Giving or taking? Accumulating or getting rid of? Listen, this isn't brain surgery. You know why we have auctions? Because nobody in the family wants the stuff. They've already gotten everything they wanted. I keep telling my kids, this is all yours. Dad, we don't want it. You know, and what do we do? We go build a shed so I can put more stuff in it. I did that. I cleaned out a shed so I could fill it back up. Come on. God's given us so much. Why is he giving it to us? So we can use it to help other people. Not so we can get more of it. Last question. When are you going to let God use you? This week? Oh, Pastor, I'll do it later. You know what I observed? You want to know what I see over and over and over and over again in life? You want to know what I hear at every funeral? Oh, we had all these plans and we never got to do blank. And my wife and I decided 10 years ago or so, you can say a lot of things about us at our funeral. But you will not be able to say, oh, they had planned to do this, 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 and this, and never got around to it. No, we, we, we make it a priority for us. We make it a focus. 
and we could take that money and we could spend it on our kids. We could leave it to our grandkids. Or we could spend it on making memories because we know that one day is coming when we will not either have the money, the resources, the time, the health, or whatever else, or even the presence to be able to make those memories. So we make them now. And I don't apologize to my kids for it. Why? Because what I have learned in life is those things that you say you'll do later, for some reason you just never get around to it. So all those plans that you have, well, pastor, you know, when I get to this point, then I'm going to serve God, and I'm going to do this, and I'm going to involve the ministry, and I'm going to do this, and okay. But I can tell you how it's probably going to end. Serve him now. He's got all kinds of appointments he's going to put in front of you this week. Serve him this week. Open your eyes to what God has in front of you. So I end this morning with this. Biblically, God needs to be the center of your life. We've got to understand that God focuses on our character and his glory, not our comfort. We need to allow God to use us daily. As we give our lives to serve and to minister to those around us. Let him use you this week. Let's pray. Lord, help us. It's easy to get wrapped up in our world, in our view, in our focus, in our plans, and the way we think everything needs to function this week. But there's a world that needs Christ. There's a world that needs hope. The world, Lord, that needs us to come alongside and help them as they try to go through some really difficult waters. So, Lord, this week, use us. May we be focused on ways to serve you in every area of our lives this week. These things we ask in your name. Amen.